Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pachet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, June 14th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? That chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work, that tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, and it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships, and to turn any negative emotional experience into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, and before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on it, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. You can also download a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through that worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to them, they can serve as a tutorial for you to help you get maximum benefit from these tools in the shortest period of time. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives as they apply these tools actively in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, 
we would appreciate your doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll see it, turn on the microphone, and announce it by your area code. Alternatively, you can send an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org, mindshifters hyphen or a dash academy.org. Or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. And if we get a comment or question from you, we will do our best to address it on the Internet show and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time it was addressed so you can listen back to the archives for the input or the feedback. And mentioning the archives is another tool that Michael and Jeannie spend their time, intelligence, money, and energy maintaining as another avenue for people to get support in the uh, getting exposed to and support in using these tools. The last 12-plus years of Internet show, one hour a day, five days a week for the first eight years, and two hours a day, five days a week for the last four-plus, are available at whyagain.org. W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. There's also a website, mindshiftersacademy.org. It's a complimentary website to this to make some of these tools available, some highlight shows, and um, you know, as, a, as a reference point to have more people pointed toward whyagain.org. Um, that's why that was created. And there are um, information there about our support groups that happen on Tuesday and Thursday night how to join for free. There's also uh, some uh, pages with audio files that we consider highlights from the past 12 years. And also uh, last year's shows, all of them are up there because last year we were stepping through the way of mastery with commentary. So feel free to check that out and um, give us your feedback on that as well. I was um, in a session this morning talking to someone about the uh, a variety of different things related to applying all of these kinds of tools that we do in this work in um, real-life work settings. And... Um, What are those tools? What is, how would you apply that in real-life work settings? Well, one of the best examples of applying the same kind of tools and the same kind of direct understanding about and direct observation about us as human beings and our relationships and communication and emotions, one of the best integrations of all that work is contained in the book titled 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. And we haven't talked about it for a while, but it came up in a session earlier today. 
and um, it's based on the work of the Hendrix Institute and you can find this online at www.conscious c-o-n-s-c-i-o-u-s dot i-s so here's the first paragraph of, of this sheet of paper that summarizes these 15 commitments conscious commitment begins the process of positive change and relational organizational resolution we define commitment using its Latin origin, committere, which means to gather one's energy and move it in a chosen direction. Using this definition, we view commitment as an energetic experience and not a moral value or a moral issue. We invite you to embrace these 15 commitments as your entry gate into quote, by me, close quotes, which is a life free of victimhood. So what I'm experiencing is being caused by me. It's not being caused to me. And what they do is they list the commitments from the by me perspective, understanding that I'm the one who can choose this or not. And then they list the to me perspective or the commitment, the way people show up when they're living and leading, either consciously or unconsciously, from the belief that life is happening to them rather than that they are active participants in life. So the number one commitment here is responsibility. And the paragraph reads, I commit to taking full responsibility for the circumstances of my life and my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. I commit to support others to take full responsibility for their lives. The life is happening to me perspective sounds like I commit to blaming others and blaming myself for what is wrong in the world I commit to be a victim, a villain, or a hero, and I take more or less than 100% responsibility. Commitment number two is to curiosity. And the by me perspective is, I commit to growing in self-awareness. I commit to regarding every interaction as an opportunity to learn. I commit to curiosity as a path to rapid learning. And the unconscious perspective says, I commit to being right and to seeing this situation as something that is happening to me. I commit to being defensive, especially when I am certain that I am right. The third commitment is a commitment to my feelings. And the commitment consciously stated, the by me perspective says, I commit to feeling my feelings all the way through to completion. They come and I locate them in my body and then I move 
breathe and vocalize them so they release all the way through. The it's happening to me perspective, the unconscious perspective, is described as I commit to resisting, judging, and apologizing for my feelings. I repress, avoid, and withhold them. The fourth commitment is candor. The conscious perspective says I commit to saying what is true for me. I commit to being a person to whom others can express themselves with candor. The unconscious perspective, the it's happening to me perspective says I commit to withholding my truth. Whether it's facts, feelings, or things I imagine. And I commit to speaking in a way that allows me to try to manipulate an outcome. I commit to not listen to the other person. The fifth commitment is I commit to ending gossip. I commit to talking directly to people with whom I have an issue or concern and encouraging others to talk directly to people with whom they have an issue or concern. That's the conscious or by-me perspective. The to-me perspective says, I commit to saying things about people that I have not or will not say to them. I commit to talking about other people in ways I wouldn't if they were there. I commit to listening to others when they gossip. Commitment number six, the practice of integrity. I commit to the masterful masterful practice of integrity, including acknowledging all authentic feelings, expressing the unarguable truth, and keeping my commitments. Now, the unarguable truth is simply my view of it, my perspective, my internal feeling, my emotions. That's not arguable by somebody else outside of me. The to-me or the unconscious perspective here is I commit to living in, com- in I commit to living in incompletion by withholding my truth, by denying my feelings, and by not keeping my agreements, and by not taking 100% responsibility. Number seven, the commitment is. I commit to living in appreciation, fully opening to both receiving and giving appreciation. The to me or the unconscious perspective says, I commit to feeling entitled to what's mine and resenting when it's not acknowledged in the way that I want. Number eight, the commitment is, to live in my zone of genius. I commit to expressing my full magnificence and to supporting and inspiring others to fully express their creativity and live in their zone of genius. I commit to holding myself back and not realizing my full potential by living in areas of incompetence, competence, and excellence, and that is the non conscious, the unconscious or the to me perspective. 
So the conscious perspective says, I commit to expressing my full magnificence and to supporting and inspiring others to fully express their creativity and live in their zone of genius. Now, you have to do some reading to understand what that means because he talks about these different levels that we can operate from. Incompetence, I'm not very good at it at all. Competence, I just barely am good enough to to get the job done. And excellence, I'm really good at it. And then beyond that, my zone of genius. So he talks about how a lot of us, they in the book, talk about how a lot of us operate from our zone of barely making it as our zone of competence. Or we think it's enough to just do what we're really good at doing just because we're really good at doing it. He talks about a whole nother level, which is the zone of genius. To understand that more, you have to read the book. But commitment number nine, I commit to creating a life of play, improvisation, and laughter. I commit to seeing all of life unfold easefully and effortlessly. I commit to maximizing my energy by honoring rest, renewal, and rhythm. That is the conscious, or this is life is being done by me perspective. The unconscious, or life is being done to me perspective, says I commit to seeing my life as serious. I commit to seeing it that it requires hard work, effort, and struggle. I commit to see play and rest as distractions from effectiveness and efficiency. The tenth commitment. This is the commitment from the conscious or life is happening by me perspective. I commit to seeing that the opposite of my story is as true or truer than my original story. I recognize that I interpret the world around me and I'm the one that gives my stories the meanings they have for me. Now the unconscious or the world is happening to me perspective says I commit to believing my stories and the meaning that I give them as the one truth. The 11th commitment here from the conscious the world is happening by me perspective says I commit to being the source of my own security, control, and approval. And this is a big one. They're all important, but this is a real big one. I commit to being the source of my security, my control, and my approval. Now, the unconscious or the world is happening to me perspective says, I commit to living from the belief that my approval, control, and security come from the outside and from people and circumstances and conditions outside of me. Commitment number 12. From the conscious, the world is happening by me perspective, commitment number 12 says, I commit to experiencing that I have enough of everything. This includes enough time, enough money, enough love, enough energy, enough space, enough resources, etc., 
the by the to me perspective the unconscious perspective says i commit to a scarcity mentality choosing to see that there is quote not enough close quotes for me and others in the world and therefore i have to be conscious of making sure that i get and preserve what is mine Thirteenth commitment from the by me conscious perspective. I commit to seeing all people and circumstances as allies that are perfectly suited to help me learn the most important things for my growth. This is another toughie, another powerful one, another reframe on life that can be empowering beyond what what words can describe. I commit to seeing all people and all circumstances in my life as allies, allies that are perfectly suited to help me learn the most important things for my growth. The to me or unconscious perspective is I commit to seeing other people and circumstances as obstacles and impediments to getting what I most want. The 14th commitment here is pro pro by me conscious perspective says I commit to creating win for all solutions parentheses win for me win for the other person win for the organization and win for the whole close parentheses I commit to doing this for whatever issues problems concerns or opportunities life presents to me that's creating a win-for-all commitment. From the life is happening to me and the unconscious commitment, it reads, I commit to seeing life as a zero-sum game and creating win-lose solutions for whatever issues, problems, concerns, or opportunities life gives me. And the last commitment from the 15 commitments of conscious leadership, the last one is, from the by me conscious perspective, I commit to being the resolution or solution that is needed, seeing what is missing in the world as an invitation to become that which is required. I commit to being the resolution or the solution that is needed and seeing that whatever might be missing in the world is simply an invitation for me to become what's required. The unconscious or the life is happening to me perspective reads, I commit to responding to the needs of the world with apathy and resentment and doing nothing or assigning blame to others. So those are the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. Again, they are available online in the book form. They're also available at www.conscious.is, as in Sam. I for Idaho, S as in Sam. So that's what was bubbling up for me today. That's coming directly from a session I had with a business leader earlier today, and 
I was trying to introduce her to these commitments of conscious leadership. She hadn't heard about that or the book before, and she was ripe for being introduced to these concepts and starting to weave them into her own experience in the business world. So we have plenty of time for a conversation. 563-999-3581. We've got about 35 minutes left. How can we support you? What's on your mind? What would it be what would be of most use for you to spend the next 30 some minutes? We've been talking about a variety of books I need to make myself a note to update the book list on the uh, mindshiftersacademy.org webpage because um, I haven't done that in probably over a year. Um, so as I make a quick note for that, update the book list. What can we support you with today? Or would it be most useful to go back and keep reading from the essays of A Walk in the Physical? This um, this very, uh, I'll say, juicy, powerful book that's been resonating with me and a number of people on the Mind Shifters radio show and uh, in our support group um, with a lot of overlap between this book and um, The Way of Mastery and A Course in Miracles the last one I believe I read was Untying the Preciousness of Self from Form understanding that what your true nature and what makes you so precious is not at all related to your height or your weight or your facial features or your intellectual intelligence. It's beyond form. It's your essence. It's your awareness. It's your consciousness. It's your ability to... Um, direct the creative energy of, of the creative flow of mind energy and essay 106 is titled you are not fundamentally human right there that title is going to challenge some people and again as we read these things or any book that might be presenting radically new ideas we try to remind each other, remind ourselves to keep our breath moving, to soften at the earliest indication of tension or constriction or pushing this away. What do they mean? You're not fundamentally human. Of course I'm human. That doesn't make any sense. This is gobbledygook. Just breathe and soften. I know somebody who writes poetry and and writes songs and performs songs, and she often says, I'm going to do this performance, and I recommend the audience just sit here and try to remember what it was like being a baby 
listening to a lullaby. Just let it wash over you. Well, if you can add to that uh, the awareness of scan your body for the earliest signs of tension or constriction and breathe and soften into it and then put yourself in that space of the infant or the child listening to a lullaby. So the essay is titled, You Are Not Fundamentally Human. And it reads, On a fundamental level, you are not actually a human being. You're having the experience of being human, which typically includes only remembering ever being human. In fact, you are you. You are the you that feels like you to you. That you, that essence, that consciousness, transcends the experience of your local human character. You also transcend the local human character's identity. You are not your job. You are not your responsibilities. You are not your nationality. You are not even your name. What you are is so amazing that it is completely beyond description. Yet, we might simply say, you are immortal consciousness engaged in a well-defined and highly specialized reality experience, an important part of which includes forgetting all the rest of who you really are. You are participating in a very meaningful journey. A, quote, rubber meets the road, close quotes, attempt to actualize and expand your true loving nature within a very rigorous context, within very difficult circumstances. While you may not have a conscious recollection of your greater self, that greater self is always there within you. If you wish to take a step back toward it, let go of all the thoughts of your mind and listen deeply with your intuition. Listen with your being. The very life within you itself has more to tell you about what you really are than your intellectual mind and its collection of local facts. So in this book, it says, you are not your human identity. You're not your job. You're not your responsibilities. You're not your nationality. You're not even your name. And this reminds me of a section from the lesson four of the way of mastery where it says, listen, if somebody asks you who you are, don't tell them, I am this person or was born in this country or I have this political affiliation. When next someone asks you 
who are you, please do not give them a name. Do not say, well, I was born in a certain town in a certain part of the planet. Do not tell them you are a Democrat or a Republican or a communist or an atheist or a Catholic. Tell them the truth. Who am I? I am the extension of love in form. I have never been born and I will never taste death. I am infinite and eternal. I shine forth as a sunbeam to the sun. I am the effect of God's love and I stand before you to love you. Now, lesson four goes on to say, now that will raise some eyebrows. It will also transform your world. For it is time to stop seeking Christ outside and start choosing to take responsibility for being Christ incarnate. There, Christ is not used as Jesus' last name. It's the office. It's the state of mind. It's the connection to the Christ mind, to the one mind, to the source of all. That each and every one of us has as our core true nature. So there's a lot of overlap between the teachings of this book, A Walk in the Physical, and A Course in Miracles, and The Way of Mastery, and the Guy Finley work. There's a, a Q&A from The Way of Mastery that talks about the difference between happiness and joy. And happiness is situationally dependent. Am I getting what I want in this moment, etc.? Whereas joy in that work, what in that teaching is staying consciously connected to the truth of your nature. So, why are we talking about that? Well, because we've got lesson or essay number 107 that's titled Natural Joy. And the essay reads, The spirit is naturally joyous, joyful, blissful. Thus, the pursuit of happiness is not just about pushing towards brightness and joy, but rather it is about fully allowing what is in the present moment. Through acceptance of what is in the present moment, we naturally work past the many ego constructs that cause us to become stuck in unhappiness. Ultimately, the experience of contrast allows the natural joy to deepen in measure with the degree of experience that is fully met and integrated. Not the experiences that I cling to or I run away from or I push off on somebody else or I blame. The experiences that I fully meet and accept, allow, surrender to, and integrate. The essay goes on and says, however, whilst engaged in our local experience of contrast, 
consciousness tends to naturally, quote, lose itself, close quotes. It loses itself in the form. What are the forms? Thoughts, objects, ideas, beliefs. And as consciousness tends to lose itself in that, it tends to believe that it is the form. This identification with something other than the whole of all that is, the truth of all of life itself, consciousness, etc., that is what brings unhappiness. And by returning to the natural joy, I misread that, but returning to the natural joy is not an act of rejecting form. Rather, we naturally release our association with the separate when we completely allow and accept it. Through surrender to form, we naturally untie ourselves from it, and our intrinsically joyful nature effortlessly rises back to the surface. Boy, this is almost exactly what we were listening to last night in the Tuesday support group at the end of um, uh, Michael Singer's book, Living Untethered. He's talking about allowing, releasing attachments, allowing our source energy to bubble up through us and transmute things, dismantle the blockages, the judgments. And the more we do that, the more that source energy flows and the more we experience the joy of being in the flow, etc. It's very, very similar to what Thaddeus Golas writes about in his papers, 24-page paper on the lazy man's guide to enlightenment and he says this is all about your your energy your consciousness and energy and all of us that are consciousness and energy we make up the universe and our choice in that existence is to either be expansive or contracting experience expansion as awareness comprehension and understanding or whatever we wish to call it and when we're completely expanded we have a feeling of total awareness and of being one with all of life at that level there's only allowance there's only acceptance there's no resistance there's no resistance to any vibrations or interactions or other beings in that state, it's just timeless bliss with an unlimited choice of consciousness, perception, and feeling. So we're either expanding or contracting. Expanded beings are permeative, and contracted beings are dense and impermeative. Therefore, each of us, alone or in combination, we might appear as space, energy, or mass, depending upon the ratio of expansion or contraction that we choose. And depending upon what kind of vibrations each of us expresses, 
as we alternate between expansion and contraction. Whether aware of it or not, each individual controls his or her own expansion or contraction. Most of us have just been conditioned into it, trained by our family and our culture and our language, and we're not even aware we're doing it. But we get defensive, we reach conclusions that this is dangerous, uh, I shouldn't share my feelings with this person because they may use them against me, it's not professional to talk about my emotions in the work setting, etc. That's, that's why it's so remarkable that in this 15 commitments of conscious leadership, the third commitment is, I commit to feeling my feelings all the way through to completion. My feelings come up, I locate them in my body, and then I move, I breathe, and I give voice to them so that they release all the way through. Well, that wouldn't be a good piece of advice. That wouldn't be something to do as a conscious leader if that left you open to being destroyed or hurt. But... Those 15 commitments are based on the same observations as this, same kinds of observations as this walk in the physical book, that your true essence is not your physical body, is not even your name or your personality. The next essay in the list is 108, and it reads... It's titled, Love Knows No Boundaries. And the essay reads, Often, when we think about loving others, we think about those close to us. And we prioritize our family and our organization or our nation. And we often do this at the expense of others. We tend to think of love as, quote, protecting our own, close quotes. True love knows no bounds, no boundaries at all. Love surpasses all labels, shatters all divisions, exceeds all limits. Love transcends all human distinction, and love accepts all. This is right out of the way of mastery as well. It says over and over again, love allows all things, love accepts all things, love embraces all things, love trusts all things, and thereby transcends all things. This essay goes on and says, we are to love all people. Michael Rice would say, we are to extend our true nature as love to all people. We are to love all beings and all expressions of life. We are to extend love regardless of identity, creed, or race. There is no identity, label, or condition that can preclude someone from deserving love. The energy they're made of, the energy we're made of, the energy we can exchange, consciously focus and send to others. It goes on and says, if we believe otherwise, even if we do so in the name of some belief that we think is moral, then we are ultimately listening to our ego rather than to our spirit. When we, eventually, return to the light after our walk in the physical, 
we will be deeply loved no matter what identity we adopted, no matter our preferences or affiliations. Even our many imperfections, even through our many imperfections, we will be profoundly and overwhelmingly loved, accepted, allowed, trusted, embraced. In fact, we are, even now, in the physical realm, profoundly and overwhelmingly accepted, loved, and embraced right now. Everyone you meet is ultimately your brother or sister. They, too, seek the love from which we all have come. They, too, yearn for the love that knows no boundaries. And you have the profound opportunity to be the hand of compassion or kindness that meets them wherever they are. As you do so, even in small ways, you help the transcendent love of the Spirit to shine forth and gradually transform our world. Now, some have chosen that as their purpose for, for living. Pierre Pradervan would be an example of that. When I did the interview with him, He has decided at this stage of his life that that's his only goal is to be love more and more deeply and richly in more and more circumstances across the board, wherever he is, with whomever he is interacting. We offer that as an invitation in this work. Every one of the tools that Dr. Michael Rice offers for free are either tools to help identify what's less than love within my mind, body, energy system and or dismantle it, cancel it, put it down, remove it, and leave me with more direct, easy access to the awareness that my true nature is this creative flow. The next essay, number 109, is Your Thoughts Are Powerful, is the title. And the essay reads, Your thoughts, every thought you have has an effect, both on your local reality system and in others. You may not see the effect of your thoughts with your physical eyes, but in fact, every thought echoes throughout all space. Reality is affected by each and every intent that you hold. For instance, what you are intending and thinking right now is, quote, happening, close quotes, throughout all the earth and is affecting vibrations in other parts of the world. How can this be? Well, because consciousness is the fundamental fabric of reality. Since all consciousness is connected to all other consciousness, when consciousness moves, all of reality is affected. However, because we are largely not aware of this, we're messy with our thoughts. Because of the beliefs that we have collectively enshrined and perpetuated, we often don't know our own importance or our own power. 
It may just be that it's time to remember. What is occurring within you is important. Your thoughts, your beliefs, your expectations, and your intentions are important. Your personal experience is important. You are important. The thoughts that arrive into your awareness started with you at some point. You receive sensory data and decide how to process it. After doing this for a lifetime, your beliefs and interpretations can be so firmly set that they seem like properties of reality itself. The beliefs and interpretations that you have bought into feed the nature of the thoughts that arrive. Your primary power is intent. Your point of power is the now moment. Using your intent in the current moment, you always have the ability to reframe your experience. This changes the world. Using your intent in the current moment, you always have the power to alter the momentum of your thoughts. You are not powerless before them. Rather, they are expressions of your power. They arrive to serve you as you have requested. Modifying your relationship with your thoughts also changes the world. Again, this is just another way to say the core work that we get out of Way of Mastery that I summarize as, I'd like to tell you two things about yourself. The first one is you have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment. And the second thing is that the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment is the force that actually creates your experience of life moment to moment. So whenever you wake up and realize that you do not like what you're experiencing in the moment, you can choose again at the level of thought and start pouring your mind energy into a different pattern of thoughts and create a different experience of life each new present moment. It is fascinating to understand. It is a challenge at times to also read and hear from people that that's going to take some time. We were listening to the Michael Singer the last bit of his the last few chapters of his book Living Untethered last night. And he talks about how people may not be happy about this, but it's going to take time to awaken to enlightenment, to change these patterns of thought, to change what you're doing with your mind energy that's creating your experience of life. And I mentioned it in the group last night that I've had a number of occasions in the support group over the past almost 19 years that I've been running it where people will choose to get upset and think they're upset because I'm telling them that it's going to take time 
to resolve their issues or to become enlightened, etc. And they want to argue and say, uh, you can, it can happen in a heartbeat, and you know, you're talking about at a physical level, and this is energy, and energy can change instantaneously, etc. And I usually just say, okay. My, my usual pattern is to not argue with people like that. And yet, we understand that, well, that might happen for a few select people or some, you could call them lucky or you could call them unlucky people because what, what level of learning, what level of life experience do I miss out on if everything's instantly easy? I don't know. However, after all of these years of living and studying these things, I've never met the person who just uh, read a book, chanted a, a mantra, and became fully enlightened, and it, it lasted forever. So it might be possible for that to happen. I just don't know anybody who's accomplished it. And I don't interpret that observation as a bad thing. I don't think... Um, that by observing that truth of how life is functioning for me, that I'm cutting myself off from anything or I'm lessening the quality of my life. That's just my perspective. So our call in number is 563-999-3581. I've got a couple different clocks in the room, and they say anywhere from six to eight minutes left. So how can we support you? What's on your mind? What would be useful to do with the last five minutes here? I haven't heard from Michael or Jeannie, so I'm assuming that they will be here for the second hour. And... um, I guess I should mention, since I'm doing quite a few of them lately, that there's also another resource that's available absolutely free. It's a a podcast called the On Your Mind Podcast. It's hosted by Journey's Dream, and it's available at uh, theonyourmindpodcast.org or onyourmindpodcast.org. Both of them will take you there. And there are probably 130 of them that have already been published another four or five that are recorded and waiting to be published. And these are podcasts on the topic of mental health and the topic of helping people discover ways to improve their mental health or find solutions to their mental health challenges that are different than just throwing medications at Uh, psychological or psychiatric symptoms so um, that's just another resource you might find of of use um, onyourmindpodcast.org and I've had a few interviews recently that are Uh, getting quite a few people um, 
and quite a few, I mean four or five, which is unusual for me. I don't usually get much feedback on these things. But um, people contacting me saying, wow, that was a powerful interview, or thanks for doing that, etc. Um, the interview that should get posted tomorrow is from Sandy Wilder, who is the chief listening officer at the Educare Unlearning Institute in Grafton, Illinois. And then after that one, there are four others that have been recorded and are scheduled for release um, through the middle of July. We're trying to do one a week still. We're back on that. And as I mention that, I want to mention that I'm wide open to suggestions from you about who you think we should interview for that. Um for that podcast, either directly or even slightly related to this work um, or mental health issues or spiritual issues. And as Guy Finley likes, I like to quote Guy Finley, who said, there's nothing more practical than true spirituality. So if you know what you would consider a spiritual podcast that's quite useful to you or a coach or a teacher or a psychologist or therapist that you greatly respect, I would appreciate an introduction. And again, you can send that to me at mindshifters, tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or mindshifters-academy.org. and I will pursue any leads that you might have and let you know if it works out. In the meantime, we'll have another support group again tomorrow night. You never know who might show up. Uh, We had six with me last night. We had eight in one of the groups plus me last week. So, you know, you never know. Sometimes it's two or three people. Sometimes it's six or eight people. Um, and we invite you to join us. All the information that you would need to do that absolutely free is available on MindShiftersAcademy.org website. And uh, again, we're grateful if you would join us or pass it along to somebody that you think might be interested. In the meantime, I'll just remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. Appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today's Wednesday, June the 14th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in the queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And um, we said we'd start out today's show doing the um, emotional release exercise with Doug, and he is already on the switchboard, so I'm going to turn on his microphone and welcome Doug, and we'll give Michael just a minute to get dialed in, and then we'll get started with you. Awesome. Sounds good. And we've actually, yeah, and we had a couple people text me and say that um, 
they were anxious to do this exercise today. So hopefully they're not on yet, but hopefully they'll dial in here in a second and uh, participate in that as well. So that was good for everybody. And we always say that, you know, if somebody has a question, there's bound to be 10 other people that are listening that have that same question and they're just not asking. So we are thankful that you asked. Awesome. Me too. <laughs> and I'm going to hold off on the reading from Michael Singer's book until after we do this with you. So um, double check, make sure he's not having any difficulties getting dialed in. So in the meantime, while we're waiting on him to dial, I'll just invite everybody to go to the website, which is whyagain.org, W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And there's a lot of information out there. You can access information about the app. Uh, You can do the uh, worksheet online, lots of things. So uh, go out there and put the tools to use if you find something that's not working. Uh, send me an email at genie, J-E-A-N-I-E, at whyagain.org, and let me know the URL that's not working or if you're needing to find something. So Michael has now joined us. So, Michael, I've already got Doug's microphone on. Welcome, Michael. Awesome. Let's go for it. Thank you, sweetheart. Welcome, everybody, especially you, Doug. How do you be? All right, good. Thank you. How has your process gone since uh, since our conversation yesterday? I I would say very positively. Um, yeah, I feel I feel it was a very constructive process and conversation yesterday. So feeling pretty good about it. Cool. Well, anything in particular to share before we move forward? Uh, no, I don't think so right now. Okay. Well, I, I came across in some research I was doing this morning something that Carl Jung said that to me fits in with our conversation yesterday and fits in with us advancing from here. And I, I pretty much agree with just about everything I've ever read from Carl Jung, except for this one. And and I think he's totally in incongruence and out in left field and not understanding what's really going on. And I think actually I think this is the first time I've ever run anything across any of his. I go, what? So here, here's what I, his thought was, and then I'll feed back what, what my thought is and how this all fits together for me. So he says the greatest and most important problems of life are all fundamentally insolvable. Actually, pardon me, I I misread that. Insoluble. Can't be dissolved. They can never be solved, but only outgrown. We don't so much solve our problems as we outgrow them. 
which I thought was pretty interesting, you know, that happened to pop up in my awareness after our conversation yesterday. So again, the greatest and most important problems of life are fundamentally, fundamentally, I think it's a typo when I copied it when it says insoluble. I think it's insolvable because he goes on to say they can never be solved but only outgrown. We don't so much solve our problems as we outgrow them. And my take is that him, as probably one of the most brilliant psychologists, psychiatrists that's ever existed, created a whole you know, wing of that philosophy and understanding of psychiatry and psychology. But he doesn't appear to know that all of the constructs of the mind are just constructs of the mind. I mean, he's got, you know, the full insight of the unconscious, tremendous, tremendous stuff and how it impacts conscious awareness and such. But when I read this, it seems that he doesn't comprehend that we're still dealing with constructs of the mind as opposed to actuality. And as it relates to our conversation yesterday, the reason why I asked about power person dynamics and such is because what you're dealing with, and for those who weren't on the show yesterday, maybe Doug, maybe you would be better at giving us a brief explanation of uh, of what you were sharing yesterday and where where it was going, rather than me trying to paraphrase it. Well, I, I guess uh, <laughs> like I talked a lot. I, I, the basic experience I'm having is that in the change of a relationship that's been a very long-standing relationship, I've been very attached to, I've wanted it to continue, and it, it all appearances is that it's not continuing, at least are moving in the direction I'd hoped. It, it, it's going to continue in some form. But my attachment to it moving forward in the way I want it isn't happening, and so therefore I get waves of uh, grief and fear over that and loss, and and I'm wanting to work on those. Do you get waves so of I'm grief and fear voice. over that? Do you get well, <laughs> waves of grief and fear over that, or do you get graves, uh, waves of grief and fear? I get waves of grief and fear that are attached to that trigger. Does that work? That your mind convinces you or attached to that or caused by or that involving my mind that situation. Me that, that, okay, that arise in relation to my thoughts when okay. I think about that situation. Okay. Right. So there's a, a great thought, actually one of the most impactful paragraphs. It really has nothing to do with the situation, right? I'm sorry. You got it, yeah. It really has yeah. nothing to do with the situation yeah. at all, right? It's just content that I have attached the construct of your mind to attachment okay if you think of the waves of emotion that come when you think you're thinking about that have you ever had any of those kinds of emotions in regard to relationship with your power persons i.e. either mom or dad or both of them Well, certainly to some degree or another, yes. 
and probably more, probably acutely when the problem was set in my mind. I mean, I I was literally a nervous wreck when I was like six or seven or eight, and my parents were having a lot of marital difficulties. And and I would say that at that time I probably was very, very much having a lot of distress over a sense of loss of one or both parents or of our family, attachment to them, particularly so you, at that time. Right. So my next question was I, going to be, and you just really, you really just spoon-fed it, the opportunity for it, and that is, <laughs> did you ever have any goals for your relationship with your parents or your parents' relationship that you have in this relationship? Well, uh, for their continuation, for the safety and the love of their continued support and goodness in my life and, and of the love that we had in the family and between themselves, that that I and my brother and sister could be all one with them and and that's very similar to my goals here. Yes, that we could continue and have positive, loving, supportive relationship and uh, use it to, for our growth. And, and, and that would be the unspoken part back then, my growth. But but it's more visible here. But this is very similar, yes. A lot of elements very similar. <sighs> I'm sure I was very upset then. I know that because I developed a couple of nervous tics and they put me on tranquilizers and everything else at that at that point. So more than I can even probably remember, I was distressed. So what do you suppose the impact would be of canceling the dual goals, current relationship, and the relationship with your parents? Well, I can I can very clearly see that canceling Can you phrase it again? Canceling the goal for uh, what I'm the thinking parallel, the, canceling the parallel goals. The goals, if you were to sit down and make a list and put mom and dad on one side of the page and your current relationship on the other side of the page, and you were to start to list the goals you have for one, yourself, two, Diane, three, the relationship, maybe even four, your lives yeah. together. If you start to make a list, and then you went to mom and dad, and wherever the goals matched, just put a check mark over on the right side, and then list any additional goals that aren't there. I think when you get the first list complete, you and Diane, you'll probably have pretty much the second list complete. Yeah, I, I think you're correct about that. It, a lot of them would be the same, yeah. And if I were to cancel them to answer that question, then uh, 
you'd have to drop well, clearly. in every bit of pain from your six-year-old self in regard to what you perceived as the threat to your the stability of your life at six. You'd have to drop into all of that and process through that. And guess what? When you're finished with that, you're going to look at the relationship with Diane, and all of the dynamics are going to change. Good breath. So cancel them for my mom and and father first, and then then the the ones. Mom, father, self. Yeah. Okay. You heard me say this before, I'm sure, but it fits here for me in this conversation. There are two paragraphs in A Course in Miracles that, in all the work I've done over 40-plus years with the Course, there are only two paragraphs that have impacted me the way these two did. And for a time period, back in the beginning, and, you know, I I didn't know the course was something I was still going to be doing 40 years later. It was just something that, you know, a group of people asked me if I'd do, so I went and bought the book and started to teach from it the next week. And, of course, it's been a companion for me now for 40-plus years. But these two paragraphs, whenever I read them, I would go into a totally, completely altered state. One that would approximate the altered state that happens when one does a deep still point session. That's the state I would go into. And I I went into that state over a time period. I don't remember now. As I say, I didn't know that I was going to be, you know, still working with the course four decades later. But, you know, I don't know whether this went on for a period of two months or six months or a year. I just didn't track it, didn't really think about it, but I go into this altered state. And then one day I picked up the books and went to read those paragraphs, and it was just words on a page. It was, it was like its work was done in me. So I'm going to invite you and everybody else who's listening to just get into a, a quiet space for a moment. I'm just going to read verbatim from the course, two paragraphs. Okay. And then I'll go into talking about why I think that's important, but I'll just invite everybody to breathe and just see what this does, see if this impacts you. It would indeed be strange if you were asked to go beyond all symbols of the world, words, forgetting them forever, yet were asked to take a teaching function. You have need to, u- need, pardon me, to use the symbols of the world a while. But be you not deceived by them as well. They do not stand for anything at all. And I'll inject here the constructs of your mind, the realities your mind presents, are in the same category. They are symbols. They do not stand for anything at all except the past. And in your practicing, the Course goes on to say, It is this thought that will release you from them. They, words, become but means by which you can communicate in ways the world can understand, but which you recognize is not the unity where true communication can be found. Thus, what you need are intervals each day in which the learning of the world becomes a transitory phase. 
a prison house from which you go into the sunlight and forget the darkness. In this release process that we're going to do, I'm going to invite you to take this space of going from the darkness into the sunlight. Here you understand the word. The name, and this is now a capital W in the course, the other uh, repeats of the word word are lowercase. This one is capital. Here you understand the word, the name, again in caps, which God has given you. The one identity, again in caps, which all things share. The one acknowledgement of what is true. And then step back to darkness, not because you think you're real, but only to proclaim its unreality in terms which still have meaning in the world that darkness rules. All painful constructs of the mind are symbols of something from the past. And if you'd listened to the last 10 years of radio shows, virtually every conversation where somebody gets a major opening and healing, it's a result of recognizing that the construct of their mind simply isn't true. It may be one's truth, but it's not true. Remembering the lesson in the Course, what is the world? The world is false perception. It is born of error. It has not left its source, and it will remain no longer than the thought that gave it birth is cherished. So the objective of this exercise, and I'm thinking that I'm going to walk through and do the exercise with you and anybody else who wants to do it. You can pick your own object of attention to do it on. And then I'm going to read these two paragraphs again. I just invite everybody to just breathe and be with it. And I'm going to just read these two paragraphs again in the context of letting go of attachments. Letting go of attachments doesn't mean letting go of relationships. What it means is that there are emotional triggers in me that are resonated by this person. And when those things come up, I perceive them as concrete and real. And one of the other thoughts in the course talks about these concrete images that come to mind that, that seem so concrete. And when that happens, because of those resonances, those attachments, we tend to get sucked back into this, that old pained reality. And the objective is to allow ourselves to drop fully into the old pained reality, like literally just go right down to the deepest parts of it that might be 50 generations old and be in it.
Any thoughts before we move forward? No, I'm, this is good. Cool. So what I'm going to invite you to do is just sit in a comfortable place where you're relaxed and your body's supported. Close your eyes. Go inside. And let yourself breathe. Let your breath be connected. And I want, I want to direct you to a location in your physiology. So I'm going to offer an image that will assist you in going to that, to locating your awareness in a place within your structure. And then I'm going to ask you to repeat a phrase. And then just breathe and be with what moves. As I say, I've worked with people for decades with this, and I've seen some people who went, eh, didn't do much. And other people that just had total life changes, total relationship changes, just monumental. And I include myself in that. So as you sit comfortably, I'm going to ask you to imagine that I have two pencils of light. Or we can drop the pencils idea. Imagine that my two index fingers are light emitters. And I'm going to take one finger and the light it emits and put it right down on the very top center of your crown, top of your head center. And imagine that as I do, the light that emits from the tip of my finger goes right through your skull and into your brain, right down into your throat. And then my other index finger, I'm going to place right in the center of your forehead, what people would call the third eye. The place where those two beams of light would meet is the place where I'm going to ask you to focus yourself and center yourself. So just imagine where, with these two beams of light coming into your head, one through the very top center of the crown, one through the, the center of the forehead, the two beams of light mix or meet, and allow yourself to focus in that spot. And when you're there, just give me a signal. That lets me know you're there. am, but I think, yes, okay. I am there. All right. And now I'm going to ask you out loud to speak the words, asking, enlisting Ruka's assistance. Ruka, I release all attachment to Diana. Ruka, I release all attachment to Diane. And just let yourself breathe with that. And as you're breathing, (laughs) 
It would indeed be strange if you were asked to go beyond all symbols of the world, forgetting them forever, yet were asked to take a teaching function. You have need to use the symbols of the world a while, but be you not deceived by them as well. They do not stand for anything at all. And in your practicing, it is that thought that will release you from them. They become but means by which you can communicate in ways the world can understand, but which you recognize is not the unity where true communication can be found. Thus, what you need are intervals, and I'm inviting everyone to make this one of those intervals are intervals each day in which the learning of the world, that is the constructs of your mind, perception, words, become a transitory phase. A prison house from which you go into the sunlight and forget the darkness. Here you understand the word, the name which God has given you, the one identity which all things share, the one acknowledgement of what is true. And then step back to darkness, not because you think it real, but only to proclaim its unreality in terms which still have meaning in the world that darkness rules. What's happening, sir? Powerful ideas these are and um, concepts are truth. I noticed that I'm, 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 when I said, I, Rook, I release all my attachments to Diane, that then I could feel my reluctance to doing that because underlying that there is, among other things, there is a belief that that will 
keep her close to me and that that will preserve the the relationship possibility and which is i guess an expression of the attachment you know it's it's an interesting mm-hmm. circle mm-hmm. Um, so notice that the whole construct of this attachment is based in the trauma of you being a child and having your life threatened by the potential breakup of your family. Do you suppose that complex of information connects you with Diane or separates you from Diane when it's held in your unconscious? And notice the game of the ego, how it turns everything backward. Ah, this is what's going to keep us together. (laughs) But what could holding a trauma of a threat of a relationship breakup do but reinforce relationship breakup? What else could it do? I understand that concept intellectually due to my familiarity yep. with your work and the psychic yep. megaphone, but uh, yep. the... Now comes the work that needs to be done. What is this? Now comes the cleanup. Well, that's okay, yes. And of what's lacking is the understanding intellectually of how a relationship can exist without attachment. You know, it's like, a, how ah, without that, what is Now that? you're asking a good question. <laughs> now you're asking, how many times have you heard me say, the ego has a cheap copy of everything that's real in the spiritual dimension? <laughs> yeah. What's the cheap yep. copy? What's the cheap copy of connection? Attachment. Relationship attachment, right? What's the cheap <laughs> copy of connection attachment? So the real copy of connection exists as we're all one in God or our... Connection to me would be the, a word that could approximate, not, not that it could, not that what we're really <laughs> approaching could ever be spoken in words because nothing true could ever be spoken in words. Right. But the closest right, approximation right, right. would be that connectedness. What would it be like if Doug lived in a world, and of course I'm saying this to all of us, what would it be like if Doug lived in a world where simply because the Creator put the breath of life in him and created him out of the presence of active love, what if Doug could only ever experience the presence of the most wildly delightful, delicious, all-fulfilling presence of love that he is if he never saw another human being again? Or had a relationship with one. What what if that was your capability? And then, from that space of wholeness, you happen to run into this woman named Diane who lives in the same space and you decided, let's play together. Or not. How different would your world be? (laughs) 
a lot less gripping and struggling and painful, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that, would be, that would be absence. And uh, just replaced by the joy of being and bliss of connection when that's appropriate. Yeah. And the bliss of being being a permanent condition for you. Right, exactly. Whatever goes on in the world. Yes. Yes. Just because the Creator put the breath of life in you. What if nothing else was needed? Especially the attachment and relationship out of the fear of loss of a family. Uh, which, which would have to extend even to the loss of one's life, ultimately. The recognition that yes. that itself is not... Uh, not mission critical to maintaining one's connection to the divine. Right. Well, the, once again, the whole belief that life is about being in a body and anything that they call the body dying is the end of life is all part of the lie. Yes. It's 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 noteworthy that the opposing condition I mentioned yesterday I think that that sometimes I'm able to maintain and I've been focused on being in connection with the divine flow and then then this other experience comes in and becomes gripping and and I was wanting to be able to just not have that happen by healing it or whatever, like we're just talking about. And it's interesting that the that 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 I can experience in this general moment of my life both of those experiences from time to time. You know, it's like I'm that 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 the the attempted solution from my gripping was to try and connect as much as I can through breath and qigong to source. And when I do, I feel okay. And then when the other comes in, I fall into the trap of its of its pain and gripping and grief and sadness and all the other things that come up in me that that are resonated by that whole pattern of thought right my past and all that so, so my offering I just would think be, I have a yes my offering would be that those moments are the moments of your greatest gift because they're the moments when you've reached a whole new level of vitality that allows the next layer of what you need to process through the surface <laughs> 
And that's the moment where you grab a worksheet and go, ah, here it is. It's in my face now. I couldn't feel this before because I didn't have the vitality. You know, answering the questions, you know, I've been doing more and more of the right things. Had I hit a new level of vitality? What's happening with my elimination? Am I craving the old drug? This is called the healing process. <sighs> yeah. And there's this old so, thing so. that says it's really hard to remember sometimes that the objective was to drain the swamp when you're up to your bippy and alligators. <laughs> So, so would it be accurate to say that the old drug, in this case, is the the whole framework on which that relationship for me was previously existing? Good chance. The desire to go back to that, yeah. Addictive demands. And the sense that I'm not okay without, and that this is this is my need, for, this I need for my well-being and source and life and happiness and yeah, yeah, and so forth. And that's that's that next, you know, the next piece of work that usually would fall in line with that would be, what's the thought disorder that I bought into from my power person? about being broken and forgiving us today. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, I got to write that down. <laughs> and of course, thought that that I bought into from my power person that what was the rest of that that or is that it that whatever the thought was and it's usually that initial thought that breaks us from that connection to love that connection to the creator in theos enthusiasm it's usually a thought that goes something like you're broken there's something wrong with you yes You'll never be good enough. You'll never be worthy. Whatever it is, whatever the specific yes. thought disorder is. Yes, I think unworthy. Something about you're unworthy mm-hmm. and yeah. and inadequate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, unworthy and not good enough. Yeah. So just to, to take that another step. So have you ever been attracted to? people or circumstances or situations or beliefs that reinforce this, you're not worthy? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that would be called traditional religion. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the whole essence of the problem has been expressed in this relationship that that has been expressed 
something on the order of that that if i were different that if i that 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 the, the reason that she cannot want to be with me is because of how i have in the past failed to be sufficient in essence uh, sufficient a reflection in of i'm broken or you, yes that's the point that i'm not good enough i'm broken i'm not providing enough i'm not meeting needs enough i i've been missing the boat you know, in some way, which I can see as part of the harvesting we've done that, yes, I needed to do better with that. But but that's not necessarily directly a reflection of me not being good enough or me personally being unworthy. It, it's more that I needed to increase my skills to do certain things better. But but what I'm seeing is that well, the way that I translated also a thought. that... But I, let that's me just also a reflection then... of the thought disorder. Oh, if I just get better, that's just a reflection of the thought disorder that the created essence of who you are is broken, is not good enough. Yeah, I was going to say You're that, not that my interpretation... Well, my interpretation of her languaging is that that I... My interpretation through the filter of everything that we're talking about of my past dysfunction and mind energy is that is that that I that I am not good enough that I'm unworthy and I need to be better and that's why I can't have her and and it it, it it's just I don't know I'm just throwing stuff out here because I want to explore it but but it seems like that that her sense that I'm not doing these things well enough therefore she experiences pain over that and that drives her away from me is a, is kind of a matching kind of a thought pattern maybe i don't know so so remember the that thought from the course that you go leave the world of darkness and take some reprieve and go back only to use the words that the world of darkness use to deny its reality and what I just heard you saying is the solution that you really are still hanging with is I've got to have her. And if you do all of this to try to achieve that result, then you've missed the mark with the whole thing. Remember, the ancient said, seek ye first the community of love, the kingdom of God, the truth of your essence, your being. Then all other things are made unto you. Not... Oh, there's that thing that's not made unto you yet? Go seek that, and then everything will be cool. Because <laughs> even if you got that, this core piece would be missing. And without that one, the rest of it's futile. The core piece being? Your connection. 
to source. Okay. Yes, it kind of relates. There's a, an interesting dynamic in the Catholic Church. And there's what they call the act of contrition. And there are two different types of this act of contrition. One was called the perfect, and one was the imperfect. And the ideal, the perfect act of contrition, you know, in the context of that theological structure, is that just kind of playing with the words to put it in the right context so it's like it's about real life it's not about some theological thing the perfect act of contrition is I have erred in maintaining my relationship with you for the sake of my relationship with you the words go something like, I'm hardly sorry for having offended thee, just for the sake of that. That's the perfect. I, then, I, I'm not, in case somebody hasn't done enough work, they get to sneak in the back door. And sneaking in the back door is, I'm sorry because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell. <laughs> That's the imperfect. As long as the mind keeps coming up with its... Say it again. Uh, If there's time, can you review that perfect act act of contrition? Because I did not track that very well. Yeah. The perfect is that let's set a scenario. Somebody is on their deathbed. They know their moments from death. And they're told there are two ways they can resolve the errors of their life. One of them is the preferable one, the perfect one, and that is, I really screwed up God, and I'm feeling badly about that because I didn't develop my relationship with you. Oh. Just for the sake of that relationship. That's the perfect the okay. imperfect is this person's on their deathbed, they're minutes from death, and you know they can't even fathom that thing about wanting that kind of relationship with God. So it's like, okay, we'll let you in the door if you're sorry because you're afraid you're going to go to hell. Right. The imperfect. Uh-huh. So... What I'm saying is, what your words indicated to me as you spoke about, you know, having her again, is that the solution is still the resolution, the healing is going to come from having that relationship. My offering is the healing is going to come from having a relationship with the presence of love in you, with the truth of who you are, and the Creator. That's the only resolution there is. 
And that's why the work of cleaning up the mind, because the mind has got a thousand constructs that it can mislead us with and head us off in some other direction. Okay, so 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 basically you're saying that in relating those two things, those perfect and imperfect contritions, you were hearing me somehow be still saying that my healing would be in having the relationship with her is like being right. afraid of hell or something. And the other... Exactly. That's the parallel. <laughs> okay. The real healing is that will come from my relationship with God. That's the real healing. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and that that leaves me unattached because because then whatever occurs is fine because the healing has happened and and that and, and if there's relationship there is if there isn't there isn't but the real healing is in the healing that will come from my relationship with God right and there will be no pursuit of of, of or through attachment there will simply be connectedness And that will be a two-pronged journey. One part of the journey will be the process of forgiveness, the process of weakening the constructs of the mind, the structures of the mind, based in hostility, fear, attachment. That will be one half of the journey. The other half of the journey will be cultivating your direct relationship with love. That you were born to be that, you were born to express that, you were born to experience that. And the only thing you will ever miss in your life will be that. Though the mind can put it into a thousand other things. The alcoholic says, I can't live without a drink. That's my God. The millionaire says, I can't live without my money. The sex addict says, I can't live without my sex. Weakening the generational patterns and fields of the mind based in pain is what forgiveness is about. Once you've worked through that, then forgiveness, you throw it away and you're finished with it. It's got no place anymore. It's got no use. It's part of the illusion. And once the illusion, the purpose of it is to dismantle the illusion and the lies, once the illusion and the lies have been dismantled, there's no use for it. It doesn't have any purpose anymore. Then there's just connectedness and functioning as a human being, as the presence of love.
because you were created for it. And the only requirement is that the Creator saw fit to put the breath of life in you. Or any of us. Forgiveness itself is a process that is a part of the illusion, and when it's complete, when it has removed the fear, hostility, constructs of the mind, and the pain associated with it, there's no further need for it because that's what it there's does. Nothing that's what left. It is. Right. That's what it does. Once that's complete, then then there's then all there is is living as the presence of love. That's it. If I explain express that accurately okay that's it yep that's cool the the idea that forgiveness is part of the illusion is interesting part of the illusion that helps us out of the illusion I guess would that be accurate the course refers to it as the only single edged sword it's the only thing that can be turned against you everything else can be turned against you but if you're actually engaging in forgiveness, it's the only thing that it will do is weaken, 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 weaken that which was never true in the beginning. You go back into so the world the that darkness rules only to proclaim its unreality in terms that still have meaning there. Uh, so are we saying that that forgiveness is the only single-edged sword that can ever be turned against you? It's the only that cannot be turned the, against you. That cannot be turned against you. That, right. Yeah. I said, yeah, can never be turned against you. That 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 is that's said to be true because every other illusion or every other part of the constructs of the mind are basically a two-edged sword that can be turned against you or appear to be for you. Is that correct? Accurate? Okay. So all other elements of perception are a two-edged sword. And and the fraud. Again, go back to that lesson. It might be you know go to go to the website. There's actually a 30 minute video of called "What Is the World," and that that to me is one of the most important and one of the most misunderstood lessons in Course in Miracles. And basically, what it says is the world is false perception. It is born of error. It is not left its source. Actually, we're getting ready uh, tomorrow. We're going to do. Uh, at least I think we are. Uh, of course, in Mer- or pardon me, the um, um, Hear My Voice Book Club at 3:30 Eastern Time, 
there's a link on the, I'm sure Jean's got it in the notes, and I'm actually just waiting to hear back from the woman who runs that study group out of London, England. And I had proposed to her that uh, we do last last session two weeks ago, we did what is the or we did uh, the introduction to advanced understanding of a course of miracles, and I proposed to her that we do what is the world in the session tomorrow at three thirty. So if you've got the time to join us for that, I'm sure Jeannie probably has already put the uh, link in the notes, and or if you go to the calendar on uh, events page on um, whyagain.org, the link will be there. Okay. You you have those those sessions are up somewhere, they're posted somewhere. Are they are they are the recordings of well, the sessions posted? There, there, if you there go is to a the web, thirty go to the website and under schedule there's one that says Global Book Club and under it it says A Course in Miracles Global Book Club. But the videos themselves, and, Doug, there's a thirty minute or thirty I think maybe it's thirty two minute version of it on our YouTube channel. The actual two hour video or I don't know if it's exactly two hours is actually in our D V D and C D catalog. Uh the lesson What is the World? Okay. But we're gonna take that yeah, longer be- version tomorrow. At least that's what I propose to Yinka that we'll do that tomorrow and then do a Q and A out okay. of it. So with with this conversation today as a foundation, I think that'd be a great place to if you've got the space tomorrow afternoon to listen. Yeah, I, I doubt that I will because I'm, it's a travel day for me. I'm going back to California, but but uh, to take care of my mom for two three weeks. So, uh, but that's a whole new space for her. Uh, yeah, it, she's but not. But you in might be able to access it on your phone while you're traveling too. Oh, maybe I guess it's possible uh, on yeah. the airplane with. Most airplanes have have Wi-Fi nowadays. Yeah, you can buy buy it. So that is a possibility. Okay. And it'll be in the archives afterward, too. Again, if Inka gives an okay on that, as I say, I I propose that to her, but I haven't heard back from her yet. What was that, Jeannie? I didn't say anything else. So the proposal is to, to make that the subject of the book club meeting tomorrow. Tomorrow, right, yes. Okay. Okay. Fabulous. Woo! All right. <laughs> Great. Covered a lot of goodies. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yum. Um, yeah. Definitely covered some really territory. Some, nice work. Some some delicious core ideas that I did not understand before. Um not to mention the process. Thank you, Michael. All right, my friend. You have a blessed one. Genie. Thank you, everybody, right, for joining us. All right. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. It's what the world's waiting for. Blessings. Bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet, as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time. 
on Mindshifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.